Okay, Ronnie MacArthur. Um, originally from Scotland, now in Canada, you've been driving trucks your entire career. Uh, I believe you, you've been an owner driver, you've been all over Europe, you have, to quote the Little Feet song, I would say you've pretty much driven every kind of rig that's ever been made. <laughs> uh, so, just about, I mean, you've probably, you've probably gone further in reverse than I have going forward. Uh, so tell us, tell us a bit, because I, I know for a fact, I, I've spent a couple of weeks with you in Canada. I, I've been, I've heard many of these stories sort of firsthand and, firsthand and things. So how, how did you start out driving, driving lorries? Was it something that ran in the, fa- ran in the family? What was, how, what did you do when you left school? And how did you get into, what was your first driving job? Well, when I left school, I went to Peter Halley Transport in Creith and I served my apprenticeship as a mechanic, a truck mechanic there, with Peter and his old Seddons and his ERFs and his Leylands. Then he went to Man Diesels and then he went to ERFs again. But I started there and then I went to work for Gordon McCartney in Comrie. And he just, he had a, what was it, a three-ton transit, three-and-a-half-ton transit. And we, we did furniture removals and we delivered feeding all over. And he, he actually put me through my test, even though we didn't have a, an HGV vehicle. But he put me through, and, and the, the plan was we were going to buy a, a big truck. He was going to have a big truck and I would drive it. But that didn't happen. And then by this time, I had my license. So, so then Hamish Reed, another well-known character from Comrie, with his own dance band, <laughs> he he had a he had a Leyland, a six wheeler Leyland, and he, he said to me one day, "I'll take you with me and see how you go on." And I was like, "Okay." So he hopped in the passenger seat with his bamboo Swiss, and we, and we set off. Here, here I was confronted by a nine speed Road Ranger gearbox, and the it was it was a Bison, but it had the the Buffalo engine in it, so it was like it was a high powered six wheeler for for that period. I think it was about an S-Redge, I think it was. It was an S-Redge. And uh, every time I missed the gear with the road ranger, it would reach across the engine cover and slap me in the knee with this bamboo switch. Until <laughs> <laughs> I eventually got the hang of it. Ewan Stewart, who also, in comedy, he had he did hay and straw with wagon and drags. I used to drive for him part-time. And then eventually my cousin, he, he said one day, uh, what are you doing? And I says, oh, I'm working from comedy. He says, like, how would you like to come and drive a truck for me? And I'm like, oh, okay, where are we working? Oh, up in, up in Lacaw side, hauling lumber out of Lacaw. And I'm like, okay. So he says, what do you want? He says, do you want a Scania 110 or a Volvo 86? And I was like, oh, I want a Scania 110. That's not, an, F, an F86 isn't directly comparable to a 110, really, is it? That's no. a, small, a smaller lorry. Um, <laughs> It was a horrible lot. <laughs> <laughs> Grossly underpowered, horrible brakes, terrible steering. <laughs> it was it was not a good truck to drive. The number of times I got dragged out of out of Lochavish behind the Ford and eight wheeler because it just ran out of power. Are we talking about the F eighty six here or the one ten? The F eighty six. It decided that the that, that because I was twenty, oh, I was only I'd only just basically turned twenty one. It was cheaper to insure me on the eighty six than the Scania. So, so they gave me the eighty six. It was an S Rage. <laughs> Belonged to. It had come from P and O tankers. 
in its first life. It was, <laughs> and it started my hatred of the Volvo 86. It's a bit, because I mean, that's full, that's full weight work, that wouldn't it be? It's not really a truck. That, I know people would use F-86s and F-7s and things like Scania 81s and things on full weight transport, yeah. work, even when they were, even when they really weren't designed for it. Uh, back then, but that was just the way the, the way that it sort of the way that it was. So you had a, a not particularly good experience with an F eighty six. Did you manage to get the one ten? No, <laughs> we never <laughs> got ten. But we had a barely a TR two eighty with the ZDF gearbox, a back to front gearbox with first was where fourth should be, and you worked your way to you, not away from you. <laughs> so we got we got this barely instead. It was actually a really good truck. I, I liked it, and it had. It was coming out of Argyle Shire. You could steer it, and you could, you could. Uh, it had really good brakes, <laughs> so it was like my savior. Because at that point, I was ready to go and drive a tractor, do anything but drive a Volvo again. But uh, no, the the Berley was quite a good truck, and we just it, it, what was it? It was like a fourteen liter engine. Was so it this great. <laughs> long stroked engine and it just plodded along. It was like, hurry up. It had its I'm getting there eventually speed. It didn't matter how fast you drove it, it just What's it, is, what was what was the model of Berley uh... TR two eighty. I couldn't even tell you what that looks like. I'm looking it up now. Is the T eighty is that the horsepower? Oh yes, I see it's got the um eighty, yeah. It was actually about two sixty three or something. It had the same cab as the Ford Transcontinental. Just going to say that that looks very much like a Ford Transcontinental cab. Yeah. Right enough, it's not 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 a bad looking truck. Not something. I wonder if any of them have survived in the UK. Probably not. Well, the right up to the Renault TR three sixty five used the same mm -hmm. cab. Then there's a few of them appearing on the on mm -hmm. the the the, 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 the stored truck circuit now. Yeah, the, the company. Somebody's got a V eight. One of them. The company, oh, what's their name? They're from Reading. They've got the green and cream lorries. They because I spoke to them at the retro truck show 2019. They just dragged it out, but it, it was like a sort of barn find thing. Um, it was a barely yeah. V8, a cracking looking thing. Oh, that, they, so <laughs> they were they, they they had what were the four twenties V8 four twenties. They they ah. could give your four two a run for its money, <laughs> and the difference was you could stop them. Oh, it's an interesting, an interesting looking thing. I, it was something I had never seen before. I, when they said it had the had the, the V eight in it, it was because it's a Berlin. It's not. It's their own version of a V eight, so it's especially, especially rare. So, but I mean, you see, so you had the Berlin uh, running, hauling t timber out the forests. Yeah, we we used oh. to go Workington. Workington was a regular run, so bear in mind the the. The Volvo took over seven hours from from Burkholden outside Oban to Workington. That was a seven hour day. The Berley could do it in about just under six if you really pushed it. And then when we moved to the Scanias, they would do it in five. <laughs> but no, the the because the, the the V8 engine that the Berley had in conjunction with Renault that was also. Uh, that was also the, the foundation of the Scania V8. Right. And Scania went on to Scania went on to develop the V8 engine and, and Renault gave up on the V8 engine. And Mac, Mac also used the same engine. 
That's right. I, my, there's, there's crossover there, isn't there, between yeah. the, the genesis of these V8 engines that, that, that kind of came from the, the, the same place originally, because that was it, because Renault were, that was the thing yeah. that Renault were well known for latterly, was fitting the Mac engine uh, yeah. into, into the Magnum. And you used to see a lot of them with a Mac badge on the front of them. Yeah. I owned one myself. They were great trucks. <laughs> ah, so I working to I mean that would have been I sort of flat to the map we we a number uh, running back and forth back and forth. How long did that last for? Uh, I did it for about five years. Mm-hmm. Then I bought my own truck, sort of thing. What was your first truck as an owner driver? An ERF <laughs> B series sleeper cab with a two forty Gardner. And a nine-speed fuller road ranger gearbox. <laughs> was that now was that bought? Did you choose that truck in particular, or was that just kind of what was available at the time? No, I chose it because because I'd always from working at Halley's, the Gardner engine was the engine to have, and this eight-cylinder straight eight-cylinder sixteen-liter two forty would be be the engine, but <laughs> and, and it didn't turn out to be that good. <laughs> it was no. a tad slow compared to the. The modern F10s and the, <laughs> and the Scania 111s of that era. <laughs> Either that or Johnny Nelson had had the best out of it before I bought it. <laughs> well, the, gar- the gardeners were all just they were donkeys, weren't they? They would just plod on forever, <laughs> uh, slow, and, <laughs> slow and steady, but nothing yeah. nothing spectacular because Gardner resisted turbocharging until right at oh, the end of yeah. their life, really, didn't they? When yeah. the C series came in, you got the Gardner turbos, but there weren't a lot of them. No, by that time Cummins had pretty much cleaned up. Um, Rolls Royce had cleaned up the yeah. the turbo cars market, but the Gardner, the like mines was it was just it was what it was. And then my next ERF was once again a B series sleeper, but it had the, the two six five roller, the Rolls Royce engine. <laughs> that was a spectacular truck. <laughs> was it not a good one? Yeah, I, I liked it, and it was it was fit to chase along with all the rest of them. You weren't at the end of the queue with, <laughs> with the Rolls Royce engine. Well, look at, and I then, mean, back then, obviously, you didn't have speed limiters back then. And oh. as I tell you, you know, obviously, speed limiters came in in the early nineties, um, and it because it must have been such. I'm trying to think back to it must have been such a different world where trucks would have been such a variation in speed between them, and a lot of trucks would have been faster than cars. At the time, depending on what gearing gearing you had in things, I mean, you would certain trucks you would be stomping along. So sort of, it would be crazy speeds to what you would consider trucks doing today. Like like the ERF with the with the the three fifty big Cam Cummins in it. I mean, it was doing like sixty five at twelve hundred revs, and you still had mm-hmm. another thousand revs left to go after that. It's, the trucks were just. They just were from a different era, really. Like before, they were all restricted to sixty and then to fifty-six. Like if you built, go as go as fast as it could. Ah, <laughs> uh, there, there's so many stories from like back in the day where it was just you know trucks that were built to catch ferries and trucks that would um had been mucked about with so much of the time. I remember one of the best stories. It was Donside Transport that I went to go and oh, yeah. we did the feature. On, we did the feature on their Ford and Four Thousand, and they were known for being notorious. They had, I think it was the dad and his his son, maybe, and they had a one four three in this Ford, and they used to swap trucks every week. 
so they could like so they could hide what they were doing with the tachograph cards, and they would just they would just about never sleep. You know, they would sleep when you could drive no further. You would just do three three Londons a week and shit like that. You know. Well, three three we would leave Argyllshire on on a Sunday, and we would do three round trips to Norwich in a week, and we'd be delivering to Loch Allen and. If we were lucky, we got a South Sheehan, which was just outside Oban. But when I mean, you've got Loch Allen, that was two hours down, two, two and a half hours down a single track road from Fort William. To, to literally, you looked, looked across the American Peninsula, you could see Mull. We would do, we had two farms we supplied down there. We would do that three times a week <laughs> with, a, with a Scania 112s. But they were built to be flying machines because they had coach diffs in them. Peter Ross, when they handed the keys over, said, here you go, Ron, and don't drive it below 65 in top gear. (laughs) 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 We came down one night, me and Ross Patton came down off, down towards TB one night with Doogie Towler, another famous hero of the period. (laughs) And as he went flying down there, me and Ross were flying down behind him and we were all up in the high 90s. Loaded with dogboards. <laughs> what was how not what's how noisy is the truck at this point? Is the wind kind of separating the top of the doors and things? Yeah. Or does it go like I wonder if you get to a point where everything stops rattling and it goes curiously sort of quiet like you're in the eye of a storm? The, the Scania was a bit like that. The, the Foden wasn't, but because <laughs> I, I, I later got an F Reg Foden with the it had a double overdrive gearbox. It, it went so fast <laughs> that when the police in France with the Renault Ford vans were chasing along behind us, they actually couldn't catch this Foden fully right. loaded. Do you, <laughs> with a... <laughs> I know that now this 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 Foden probably deserves. We should probably at what point at what point in the story does this Foden arrive? Because I well, I've heard this story before. I know all about the, I know all about this truck. I've heard about it from you, and I've heard it from your brother Lackey as well. Um, so we might, we might as well do the story from from the start of this. This is the Seafair Foden Four Thousand. This was the one that came before the Seafair, right? This, you, but you should know this truck because Murray Smith has it now. Mm-hmm. It was an F Reg, and it got bought because it belonged to a French guy, and he wanted mm-hmm. a four hundred plus horsepower truck. And Scania said, "I can't supply one before a year." And Volvo said, we don't have any that we can give you just now. And he went to Foden and Foden said, well, we have this one. It's an F-Reg and it has a 425 Caterpillar in it. And it was the first one to come. It was like the, ten- the, the test bench. This is a, said, that would be a 3406B, would it? It would, yeah. It mm-hmm. was the 346. So they said, uh, we could give you this. So... He said, right, give it to me. So it came with a 13-speed gearbox, and, and the guy that was supposed to drive it, he couldn't he couldn't find a gear with a with a guide dog. <laughs> so they said to me, Do you would you drive this truck? And I said, Yeah, okay. So he sat, he says, Why can you change gear when, when Alec doesn't manage? And that was when I said, I wonder how fast it goes. And they said, Oh, well, it was built to go fast and it had this double overdrive gearbox. <laughs> it would cruise at like 75 miles an hour. You could leave, you could leave Portsmouth Harbour with it and almost get to Carlisle in four and a half hours if you got a clean run. <laughs> what the hell? 
it used to be about 85 gallon of fuel to do it, but, <laughs> but it could fly. <laughs> and then the next Foden was the, the Gyrex one, the Seafair one. Right, was that that it, was the Seafair one, the Gyrex? Yeah. Yeah, it was equally as famous, but it wasn't quite as fast because it only had the nine-speed gearbox, whereas the 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 F-Reds one had the the two overdrive gearbox. So I think they were... just keep, they just keep they just keep winding and winding up and just because you've got the gear you've got the steps and the gears to get up there. Yeah, um, we just get there going. I guess if you had the if you had a lot of big hills with that kind of speed as well at the bottom, you've got quite a lot of momentum to shove you up and over the other but side that, as well. I mean, with, with the the F Reg, I used to run live shellfish to to Spain with it, usually from from Orkney, Shetland, and, and then you would go into Oban on a Tuesday, finish offloading, and then you were you were down to the the uh, Iran on a Thursday morning. And you would go to Pisacus Market, and then we would get more. We would buy more shellfish in the market there, and take it down to Madrid, which was frowned upon in these days because that was uh, like cabotage. Because mm-hmm. that was the days before before it was a free market. And some days we got we would get stopped like hundred miles from Madrid, and they would tusk the load. The police would stop us and make us throw the load off because we shouldn't have had the load on. Mm. <laughs> All the locals around about would appear, bush crabs. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, one well, one night going down the last uh, toll booth before the border, the, this motorcycle cop pulls me in and he says, uh, "The big problem." And I was like, "Oh, what's the problem?" He says, "You are doing 128 kilometers an hour." No, I don't think so. He said, "Yeah, yes, this is a big problem." And I went, okay. And I'm thinking, well, this will be 900 francs at least. And he says, what are you carrying? I says, oh, we have crabs and lobsters. Oh, you have some for me. And yeah, no problem. I says, what do you want? Uh, you have lobsters? I said, I have lobsters and crayfish. Oh, okay, this will do. So, <laughs> so he says, you have a sack? Oh, yeah, a sack. Yeah, we, we. And he goes to his motorcycle and he comes back and I opens the side door of the trailer up and I throws him like two lobsters into the box, into his plastic bag and he looks down and he goes Monsieur 128 kilometres an hour <laughs> ah ok <laughs> so we filled it up with, 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 with crabs and lobsters and crayfish and he went quite happy and this other cop appeared and he says eh, you have something for me also <laughs> yeah no problem <laughs> <laughs> What was it happened one time? I recall there was a story, but what one what one of those Fodens was it that it got stopped in France, was it? And they couldn't, the tachograph was like off the edge uh, and oh, they that, couldn't verify what speed it was going. Was that your lackey that was driving that then? Well, I got stopped coming out of Cannes just by the, the Canadian Memorial appropriately, appropriately. And they had, they said to me, you are doing 100 kilometers, 108 kilometers an hour. And the speed limit was only 80 kilometers an hour. And I was like, no, no, I don't think so. And he said, yeah, yeah. He, says, uh, he showed me the, the radar gun. And oh, was right enough, 108 kilometers an hour. But these nice guys at Caledonian Commercials, they had set my tachograph up so that it didn't matter how fast you got, it got to 56 miles an hour and stopped. <laughs> <laughs> 
he says, your desk? So I hands on the desk and he's looking at it and he's going like, this is not possible. And I was like, well, it is. And he says, no, no, this is not possible. And he kept showing me the radar gun and he's showing me the desk and he's showing me the gun and he's like, this is not possible. And I'm all the time I'm thinking, if he takes this to a tachygraph centre, oh, this is going to work. Because <laughs> they won't have bits for a phone. <laughs> so, so while we're standing arguing, this Mercedes 190E saloon car comes past and he holds the he holds the radar gun up to it as it goes past 228 kilometres an hour. He goes, oh, okay, you go. <laughs> Handed me my disc. <laughs> hopped in his motorcycle and chased after it. Because it's back in the well, I know that that's Europe, but back in the day in the UK, I mean, there's less and less police on the roads these days. And like back in the eighties, obviously the CB radios were alive with chatter and things all the time because the police were heavily uh, the the traffic cops were out on the on the road in fairly large numbers looking to get trucks, especially. I believe the old day, the, the A74 was 40 miles oh. an hour for a long time. And that was like rife with Rover SD1s and, and things like that. I, so I've been told, I, unfortunately, I, I regret the fact that I'm only 42 now. I wish I was older and I could have been out and experienced all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing, when we got this, just after we got the scanners, I, I, I was chatting to a guy in Comrie that, that, that I knew, and he used to come and drive for me part time. He said, I said, I've got a load down to, it was going to Manchester, I think. I said, so if you come down with me, we'll leave about four o'clock in the morning and then we'll get this load delivered and then we'll reload in Preston and we'll be back home to Comrie tonight, just splitting it between us. Oh, yeah, no problem, Ron. So we came out of, down through the, what, what in these days was the hole in the wall <laughs> where the, he came down before Crossgate's Cafe. And that's and the so, big the big hill with uh, the new bit. It's the big hill where there's the wide lane bit at the bottom the old, of it. That yeah, the road the used old, to run under the railway bridge there before it was converted to motorway uh, in yeah, the seventy four. So it's quite a, it's a famous spot. Yeah, that was what they called the hole in the wall. So, so you can imagine coming down there with twenty five ton of soft sawed sawn timber on. <laughs> with your coach stuff, we are giving it <laughs> yeehaw. <laughs> it goes past. <laughs> Crossgate's cafe, the spray's coming out the back in circles. <laughs> and Tom says, we'll stop for something to eat. He says, yeah, we'll get something on the way home. So, so as we came down past the Lockerbie Road end, somebody says, that cop car's coming out. Oh, Mr. Stewart, you need to watch out because that cop car's just come out behind you. And like, I'm completely off the clock and I'm thinking to myself like, crap. <laughs> and it's only 40 mile an hour. <laughs> so... As I go past, then somebody says, better call an ambulance. That police car's upside down. He's just pulled out in front of a truck. <laughs> like, what happened? He says, oh, this other boat guy's hit him and tipped him over on his roof. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so on, and I was like, bad luck, guys. <laughs> Carries on, comes home, and we pulls into Crossgate Cafe. And, of course, we had the best uh, braised steak. Brace steak and potatoes in the, in the whole road was Crossgate's Cafe. So we pulls in there, and as we pull in, I park and I hops out, and Tom hops out. And this police car comes creeping up beside us, <laughs> and it's Sheriff, what is it, Sheriff what Lovely it, called? What does it look like, Sheriff Be what, Buford T. Justice? Like he's going to uh, smash the hang up, like. And, and he winds his window down and he, goes, he, he beckons me over. And I was like, Yes, so we've got a problem. And all he said to me was, Next time, you bastard. Next time. 
<laughs> I was like, oh! <laughs> but it was all part of the game. Like, we would run, we weren't grossly overloaded going to, to Workington because you always got pulled. Sunday afternoon, you would get pulled at the sawmill at Lockerbie. You always got pulled in there and you were always two ton overloaded. And they would take the logs off and leave them at the sawmill at Lockerbie. But it was just part of the game. You know, you didn't get a ticket. You just, he made you take the logs off and between us, between uh, Captain Tommy Stewart, who we worked for, and Ferguson's, JG Brawley's, I think we kept that sawmill going in timber for years. <laughs> <laughs> every Sunday, we all get dragged in there. <laughs> ah, so the, 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 the 74 was a, was a, a wild road. Uh, it was massively... Um, it was really not for, for purpose by the time no. the 80s had rolled around with the volume of traffic that was on it. It had like various oh. sort of T-junctions on it. And yeah, it was just a two lane, two lanes, no hard shoulder, all the way right the way up to, to Glasgow, basically. Um, it, it was only finished getting built in 1997, unbelievably. There was still, the Crossgates Cafe was only demolished in 97. That's when it finally yeah. went. That was a sad day. <laughs> the Crossgates Cafe was a good, was actually a really good cafe with its revolving door. <laughs> <laughs> you went in, you went in the revolving door. And if you got some wise ass behind you, he would put his foot in the door and jam it. He <laughs> <laughs> got stuck in between, in between half in and half out of the cafe. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, as, an, as an owner driver, uh, so were those Fodens, were they owned by? Somebody else, but they your trucks. Yes, the did did the you Foden. end up owning one of them? Yeah, well, we tried to buy one at the end, and, and the guy that owned it wouldn't sell it to us because the the food was owned by Seafair, the the Jai Ten one, and we mm. had uh, Lachy drove it. You know, Ross Patton actually drove it new, and then Lachy got it, and then I got it after that. I mean, that food did what's it one point eight million or something before it actually lay down and died. And the other F957, its engine collapsed in, in Orkney and Caterpillar rebuilt the engine because it was their engine. They they wanted to see how it had, how it survived. So they they came to Orkney and rebuilt the engine. Got yes. I see you've got a big variety of, of trucks over the years. You've driven you've owned uh, and driven a whole variety of um, British trucks. I mean, how did you? I mean, their trucks, which have always kind of really divided opinion uh, with drivers. <laughs> what, what's your opinion? How did the sort of how did the ERFs and the Fodens compare to the? How did you find that they compared to the the, the sort of the Volvos and Scandias at the time, which were the trucks which are kind of everybody sort of, sort of came in and just kind of absolutely roasted the British opposition. But by the the time the eighties had come round, then they had kind of caught up to an extent. Because they'd be, using, they'd be using American drive lines, so they had the power, uh, which they didn't have previously. Like the B series, you could actually you could stand in the passenger footwell. You could actually stand up. Well, I'm five foot nine, and I could stand up in the factory sleeper B series and get dressed. I mean, and and the one eleven that I bought after I had because I had a spell, but I bought a one eleven. I mean, you had to lie down to get dressed in that because you couldn't you couldn't get dressed standing up. It was it was uh, it was more modern than and, and way plusher than the ERF. But at the end of the day, it didn't make any more money in a week than than the, the ERF did. It didn't do any extra loads for the extra it cost to buy. It didn't do anything extra. It just cost cost more to buy. And as one of the drivers said, 
oh, you want to get, you know, at least with a scan there, you've got an investment. And I was like, yeah, but if I want an investment, I'll buy a piece of land. <laughs> at the end of the day, they don't do any more work than the than, than the, the ERFs did. Like I, I always bought ERFs. Lachie bought phones, but it was just, you could tell who would, <laughs> who'd bought what. And then when, when like the EC, like the ERF EC11, mm-hmm. I would say that was as good if not better than most of the Continentals of that period. I mean, I had the what was mine. Mine was a V-Reg, and I picked it up from uh, eight Davies of Stoke and Trent, A&H Davies, and I bought it from them because they, they gave up haulage. I bought it from them on the, the Tuesday morning, drove it home to, to Hart Hill, <laughs> put all my gear in it, hitched up a trailer, and it was in Boulogne on Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it was as good. It was as good as anything else in the market at that time. It just it drivers didn't like it because it was an ERF, but yeah, I liked it. And like I say, it didn't make any less money than than the one two four Scania. And it, you know, it just well, it a good cab, that, that Olympic cab as well had a, a huge amount of space and storage in it for the for the time. Oh yeah, it did. I mean, I could stand. You could stand in the in the engine cover and get dressed in the morning, and it was a really good cab. I liked it. Yeah, I, I was surprised when I've been out when I've driven um, ECs as to how actually quiet they are, uh, and yeah. how how uh, um, how um, well how well the cabs laid out in them. It's weird. It's the weird thing is the steering wheel because you've got this gigantic <laughs> thin two spoke steering wheel which dates the truck quite badly. If I had a nicer steering wheel. It would feel a lot more modern, and you've got a couple of weird things like the cruise controls and a button on it. But I, I, I liked it with a carpeted uh, engine hump in the middle. And I've another it was a truck that um, ERF got that got that one right. Unfortunately, uh, with the globalization of truck manufacturing and the, the sheer investment they needed for anything, it was already sort of too late for yeah. for them. But then, I mean, but what, what ERF and Foden failed to realise was. Guys like me and Lachie who bought ERFs and Fodens, we bought them because they were ERFs and Fodens. We didn't change to, I didn't buy MENs, I changed mm-hmm. to Renault, and Lachie changed to Scania. We didn't buy, we didn't go out and buy DAFs or, or MENs because that's who took over things. Mm-hmm. We didn't want these trucks. We wanted, you know, we wanted our ERFs with their, their Cummins engines and their fuller gearboxes. They were just, that was it. But but they failed to grasp that. <laughs> I mean, I, I bought one. I had one ECX, which was a fifty-one or a fifty. I don't know fifty-one plate, and that cured my ERF habit forever. Yeah, they were <laughs> under. They were kind of underdeveloped. Them. I think they were, if they if they had more time and investment in it, that could have that a variation of that cab could still be on the road today. But by the time they were kind of halfway through, an MAN came in, and it's a kind of mashup. Of different technologies and things, and it wasn't ever, it, it wasn't, it, it, it was had, never quite right, unfortunately. Had the ZDF gearbox and the comfort shift, but they didn't wire the comfort shift up on the mm. ECX, but they did in the ECT, and it had the man axles and it had disc brakes and drum brakes, and it was just seemed to be built out of the parts bin. But that, mm-hmm. like I say, that cured my ERF habit forever. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, after the RF, because you did quite a, um, you, you had a variety of trucks after that. You see, you had a, you had a Magnum. 
Yeah, that was a good truck. I liked the Magnum. It was with the 480 Mark engine. Mm. <laughs> but I actually went to buy a Renault Premium. And the, the late, great Jock Colvin, he had a Magnum. And he says to me, don't buy the Premium, Ron. Oh, you'll not like it. <laughs> Go and mm-hmm. buy a Magnum. I was like, you know, you think? I'm telling you, buy the Magnum. I was like, okay. So we bought the Magnum. But then I had the premium for a while after that too. Like the, the, the older style premium before it had the, the Volvo drive line and everything. And it was actually a really good truck. And I often thought if I was buying another new truck, it would be a premium. It, was, it didn't blaze the trail that the Magnum did, but it was a it was a good truck for what it did. I, I like the Renault Premium, but especially I, I, I had. Um... I had one of the later versions, like a, a, a 10 or an 11 plate at, at Gilmore's <laughs> for a good while. That was a 460 with a, with a Volvo I-Shift and everything. And I thought, it's a small, it's small cab, but what a great driving and handling truck they were. I, I, I really liked them a lot. I like the low height of it. That lends itself well to being able to chuck a truck about on A-roads and things smoothly and, and all that. So I had, I've always quite a... I would always um, defend the Renault Premium as being, being a worthy truck. What was, your, the, what the, was the V8, the, was the V8 Mac like? Because that's quite an iconic truck these, day, these days. If you had that at a class at the retro show, you would have a lot of interest in it. There are not too many of them survived, I don't think. The, the, V8, uh, the V8 Mac engine with in Tom Jordan who, who lives in Crail, he had he had the V8. I think he bought uh, Robin Boswick's one when he sold it. I mean, Tom had one. I mean, these would, these would chase 143s and 142s back in the day when they were the trucks to have. These were the V8s and the V8 and the the, the TR, the TR280, like the, the same style as mm-hmm. the 280. The V8 and that, I mean, if you went down to, like, hauling lambs down to, to Rungis, that V8 engine just, you never change gear, just run along in top gear. Plus, mm-hmm. it was more comfortable in the Scania anyway. <laughs> the cab was way more comfortable <laughs> and quieter. <laughs> what was your last truck that you, you had uh, as an owner driver? And was that directly prior to going out to Canada? Or were you driving for uh, somebody else by then? No, no, I still had my Magnum. Mm. And then we came to Canada. And Scott Scott had the Magnum for a while as well. That's your son? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was Magnum for a while too. Hauling potatoes and, and uh, turnips and anything. <laughs> what, year, so what, year was it, what year was it you went out to Canada? Uh, 2010. Yeah, 2010. Now, the company that you started off driving for out there was H&R, and they were always advertising for drivers. Um, but it was quite a, the work that they were doing. It was was that fridge work. It was, yeah, it was all fridge work. A lot of that sort of stuff is serious long distance stuff. Eh, you're like you're not just away for a week at a time and coming back. You're away for like weeks on end, isn't it? Oh no, you could with H&R. You told them you right. filled in your. You told them when you wanted home. So I would do two weekends away, come home on a Thursday, and then I'd have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then go back to work on Monday morning. That, that seems, seems reasonable. 
if you've got yeah, yeah. obviously you've got to go and you've got to go and work at it, you know, and get like you say, you've got to go and rack up the rack up the miles. Yeah, um, a lot of the game teach now didn't appreciate that. You know, if you went like we were in Texas and they said, Oh, let's go to the, the Alamo. So we had like two days off and went to the Alamo, but you don't get paid for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you say, I'm due a reset, okay, have a reset. I'm mm-hmm. having a reset in, in San Antonio, okay. We we also went to the little the battle of the little bighorn, that was another day trip for each and we and we did all in, in down in San Francisco and you know, I'm I'm having two days off or I'm having mm. three days off. And they said, Yeah, no problem, you have three days off. You want but you didn't get paid for it. You only got paid when the wheels were turning. Oh, I absolutely appreciate that. That's it's so yeah, just the names of Texas, San Francisco and everything, just it's so you know, it's so exciting just to think about going to visit all those places and you see it by way of by way of truck. And um, <laughs> how many? I mean, because you were you went all over America, didn't you? For H and R, it was um, what was it? You were? was it food? Basically, so it, that was what you were delivering with them. Well, we hauled beef down. There's a big beef plant up by Brooks, and we would haul beef out of there, and it went everywhere from Florida on one coast right down to California on the other coast. It was, but most of the time I would run about Chicago and uh, round about that area. I like to go down there and do that because you could do like a round trip a week down to Chicago and round the meat market, and then you could deliver that. And we reloaded pizzas for uh, hey, Chicago but, pizzas. Get in. Yeah, <laughs> we would get them and we bring them back to Calgary. You'd be back on a on a Thursday, Thursday night, Friday morning, drop your trailer take 24 hours, go and park, pick up your next trailer, back down. You might get one out of High River or you might get one out of Brooks, back down again to... to like I, would, I, done, I would do three three in two weeks. That's what I'd done. Or down to Green Bay, down to Wisconsin. There was a meat packing plant we used to haul beef to there. But uh, H&R was actually... It wasn't a bad job just as long as you could... as long as you could appreciate the bullshit... Yeah, well, uh, well, that's it. It's a big, it's a big culture shock for a lot of guys. I was frustrated with the guys because I missed out on that job at Gladstone, and the guys that got a couple of the guys that got a job with Gladstone immediately sacked it off a few weeks later because they couldn't handle yeah. it. They didn't know what they were getting themselves in for. No. Um, I, oh, no, it, it, it is a different, different. It's a different culture altogether. Um, is, that's right. That's some. That is exactly right. It's a whole different culture. It's the same same language separated by an ocean. Mm-hmm. They don't. Lots of guys just didn't appreciate how different the job was. But to the likes of me, who'd worked for myself for years and years, mm-hmm. I, I soon figured out if you weren't working, you weren't earning. It was okay having days off here and days off there, but mm-hmm. if you weren't, if the wheels weren't turning, then you weren't earning any money. This is amazing. That's the best bit of that when you're trying to when you're on the road and you're moving. That's that's the best bit of being a truck driver. It's not sitting about letting the clock tick round and you're getting paid waiting time. I don't think anyway. That's not not what I want to be doing. I want to be maxing my time out and racking up as many miles and seeing as many different places as I possibly can. Oh, you could do that with HR. They would just they would keep they would keep you running forever if you if you didn't ask to be to be anywhere. Yeah, never come home, I. <laughs> Kept you running. But, uh, uh, ex- exciting, but what, exciting times, eh? But you need to, like, you can leave uh, Tabor here mm-hmm. and you can be at the Mexican border 
in two and a half days, say, easily. Mm-hmm. Mexican border. But if you leave Vancouver and you're going to Ottawa, that's five days. That's crazy because it's hard to comprehend the sheer vastness <laughs> of Canada as well because it's basically yeah. empty. You know, it's a tiny population for the landmass that it is. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is insane because I remember looking on a map uh, when I was over in Canada, because I was looking at going exploring some places, and I was like, "Oh, so right, okay, so that's like a seventeen-hour drive." I was like, well, "Maybe I won't be going there." <laughs> in Charlie White, you, you, uh, the Ramsey's dad. Uh, yes, was... that's Rams, Ramsey White, who's a, a, a friend of ours. Yes, he, um, he's been in trucking <laughs> driver before, runs a, a, a yeah. few Volvos. Yeah. Well, his dad, he's a Canadian. And he would say, like, Canada, Ron, it's the only place where you'll drive seven hours to go to a dance. <laughs> and that summed it up perfectly. <laughs> it does, the distances. It's, it's hard to comprehend Canada and the size of the, the United States as well. There's just so much. As a, as a truck driver, you can see why it's so attractive and so evocative and why you want to go there. Like, you know, that's... That's what I mean. That's what it, it totally that puts me. I'm like, well, apart from dictator Trudeau putting on that to one side at the moment, I'm just going over there. If I went over there for two weeks and everything, I would just be full of crazy ideas about you know. I was like, I need to go. I need to go and do this. It's an itch that I absolutely have to scratch. One way or the other, and everything, you know, I would be going sending emails to Tara Walter again and saying, you know, come on, how about it? But of course, you do need sixteen thousand dollars to pass your yeah. test now. Which is a bit of a stumbling block. I would have to go and remortgage my house to get that um, outright at the moment. Well, I could sell every car I owned, I suppose. But hmm. <laughs> well, a lot of the, a lot of them, uh, some of the companies now are paying for that, and and you could get like some of the Canadian guys will get a get a grant for your mm-hmm. sixteen thousand dollars, and that's 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 a conservative estimate. I, I've heard guys that. Paid like four or five thousand more than that just to get their license. But one in the, the grant depends on the color of your skin and what part of the world you came from before you came to Canada, which is you know uh, still, de- I, still, still all depend still all dependent on uh, they're wanting to they're still wanting to um, get get people in from sort of like India uh, and yeah. Asia and things like that as opposed to taking in sort of Caucasian Europeans. Um, yeah, which is unfortunately what I am. Hmm. You see, that's uh, what happened. This all came about. Because that's what happened the last time when I saw, all of a sudden I couldn't, um, I couldn't get, I couldn't get in. It was strange. Yeah, that's what Ben said. As, as Ben said, I could, I can bring people in from all from from Saudi Arabia and Palestine and here and any any country like that. He said I can bring them in without any hassle. And I get my my work permits for them, no problem. He says, but if I tell them I want to bring a, a Scottish guy or I want to bring a bring a, a Dutch guy or a Danish guy, he said, mm. it's like you're the devil incarnate. <laughs> strange, Just the way, yeah, I- strange way of sort of sort of doing things and that. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, when you got over with it, with it, what kind of trucks were you driving at? You're driving at H and R. These were just not because in Canada you're driving B doubles, which is a truck with a trailer with a turntable and another trailer, and there's a whole raft of different combinations of 
trailer setups that you can get over there. You can get like triples, things with like three trailers, and it all yeah. it varies from province to state in America. It's super complicated. Uh, but but H and R that was just a traditional Arctic. Yeah, just a fifty. Well, I started on a a forty eight foot trailer with because I did the hanging beef, was what I started on, and then after that they, they stopped the hanging beef, then I moved on to a fifty three foot trailer, and they just but it's fifty three foot. But when when it's all loaded up, there's like fifteen feet at the back's not loaded. <laughs> uh, it's weird the, the trailers in North America, Canada and America they're, they're so old fashioned looking these with the twin tandem axles on them yeah uh, and, and they, they, can, they, they look like they've never really been modernised you don't see like, like the modern Sheru smooth sided fridges that you, oh, get, that you get here and Sheru I mean mm-hmm. like I had the Grey and Adams we, we would load the ice cream out of Italy and France and we could run that empty trailer down to minus 25, empty, when it was 40 degrees outside. But these these uh, utility fridges that they sell here in, in uh, Great Danes, you wouldn't go for a, lo- a load of ice cream in the summer with them, no. Because <laughs> you just couldn't keep them cold enough. It's, it, it's weird, the, the, the trailer setups in so many ways. They look so old-fashioned. Uh, in yeah. so many, in so many, in so many respects, uh, compared compared to what we've got here. So can in uh, California, they have really weird axle laws, so you can only you're only what is it forty three feet or forty one feet from the rear axle to the kingpin, so you have to load them heavy at the front. But other states, they, they you know you could you could run with axles right at the back of the trailer. Mm, I don't. There's quite a number of hauliers that just don't do California. They can't be bothered nope. because you you need you you have to have full emissions equipment in California, yeah. don't you? But I've I've seen it on YouTube and, and online. People are just nah, don't do it. Not interested because it's just such a pain in the ass. The same, it's just like Euro Six, like going to Manchester, mm-hmm. going to London. You have to have the latest, the latest and greatest. I mean, because they'll they'll actually stop you and check. Mm-hmm. You know, they actually stop you at the roadside and check all this. Mm-hmm. But, but H and R, we had the the freight liners. They were they had the big cabs on them, double cabs, and they had the tri packs like auxiliary engines that you could run the air conditioning. They charged the batteries. They kept the water circulating. And the auxiliary engine is well, basically because in, in the extreme conditions that you get in Canada, you can't really have a night heater. That's not going to do it. Uh, well, we so have- this is an this is an entire a secondary engine to keep all that sort of working. Yeah, it keeps all that going, keeps the battery charged up to run all that. But you've still got the same Ebus Batcher night heaters and you have uh, engine block, like a diesel-fired engine mm-hmm. block heater. It's minus 20-something here this morning, but I just went round and switched my engine heater on. Went round about half an hour later, the engine's warmed up to about 100 degrees, fires up no problem because it's basically been warmed up. But you, it, you just have to build the truck for, for what you need. Mm-hmm. So I mean, those freight liners. Um, I mean, that's that's they're related to Mercedes Benz, uh, and they're because um, there's quite a lot of di- different bits of technology have come across into the freight liners from from Europe, I believe. Yeah. But they're quite big, uh, huge sleeper cabs on them, isn't it? And, and those ones actually they had automatic boxes as well, which are coming on. They're coming online in North America now, but they're very slow because you can still those, load the trucks, you still get the 18-speed road ranger in them. 
well, the, the theory of the 18-speed road ranger is you can take your truck with a defunct gearbox to any any shop, any blacksmith shop, and they can put together, they can repair your 18-speed road ranger because it's not there's no non-synchromations, straight cut gears, everything. They can like the side of the road mechanic can repair the gearbox, whereas lights of the new Volvos with their eye shifts and their synchromesh gearboxes and that technology is beyond a lot of shops to repair. So well, that's it's why electronics as well, I guess, a lot of the time. If it drops a sensor when you're out in Yellowknife at minus 40, then uh, you, it's not it's not ideal. So there's still a, a, a big a big market for manuals. Well, the standard uh, so, trans- standard, tra- standard transmission, uh, because you can limp it along even when it's like half knackered in, in that case as well. So because we used to get told at H and R when we done done our indoctrination, you, you had like four days uh, where you you were told what they was expected and what you would do and everything, and they would tell you like if you break down and you can't get your truck to run, you can take the pallets out of the reefer and set fire to them to give yourself heat. Wow, it comes cold. back to the it comes back to the vastness of the country and the potential isolation because at a lot of points you can be hundreds of miles from anything, and and no phone service. Mm. And so it, it would be a shock if if you're not up to speed in your geography, it would be quite some shock. Because I remember when I was out there with you, and we drove for a whole day, um, <laughs> and then I looked at I got the map out and I plotted the two points where we'd been, and it was like a map of Rand McNally Atlas of North America, and it was just. just tiny little bit in the top corner I'd drawn a line on that was that's all we'd driven and it was the equivalent of driving to Spain from the UK and it just that was a, a tiny tiny little line yeah because when we when we now we would leave Ottawa going to Vancouver you got five days to do that run you could do it in four if you really hustled but you know four days on, on the hop and never Just leaving, driving never, all your entire time. Yeah. But, but it was just what it was. You just got used to it. What's the, what's the total driving time you can do a day versus your yeah. daily rest? 13 hours driving a day. That's over. more like it. That's much more like what you get. Well, <laughs> well, it wouldn't be helpful in the UK because there's not enough no. space to need to do that amount of time. But aye, that's, that's a, good bit of, a good bit of driving a day, that. So you can do like 13 hours driving over a 14-hour spread over, but you have to have, what is it? It used to be you had, after eight hours, you had to have a half-hour break. But I, think they've actually, <laughs> but I think they've actually done away with that requirement now, and you can just bash through 13 hours non-stop, <laughs> which I've done. <laughs> uh, can imagine? I would have, I would have a go at that if I... If, if, if the opportunity presented itself, why not? Uh, uh, it's a different, it's a different sort of, a, and of course you're doing, you can be doing like nearly 70 miles an hour as well. Your truck might be oh, set yeah. to do 68 miles an hour, so you're covering a vast amount of distance as well. It's like 110 kilometres an hour is the, is, mm. is the limit for most of it. But it's necessary as well, because you can't piss about at 52 miles an hour when you've got to go and cover thousands of miles, I guess. So. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm leased to the flour mill, and as a rule, I don't travel much further away than Vulcan, which is only an hour from Lethbridge. Or sometimes I go to uh, La Alta, which is two hours from Lethbridge. But in a week, in a day, when, I, when you count your miles up, I've done like 
850, 900 kilometres in a day and never been any further away than a, than an hour from Lethbridge. <laughs> crazy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... It's a, diff- it's a different, it's a wonderful, it's an amazing, fabulous, different world. And I really do truly hope that um, things, work, things work out for all the truckers and everybody in Canada and they get back to some sort of normality very soon and get out no. from under the boot of Mr Trudeau. Um, <laughs> but I think that's us coming up for two hours on that now, so I think we'll wrap this up. Yeah, this one. Like, that's been that's been fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on and explaining everything about Canada and giving us just a little taster of uh, your sort of background and stories with the trucks and everything like that. Because I know there are an endless line of stories that we could we could get into. Um, my stories of hauling around timber. <laughs> not even scraping the surface of things. Uh, but that's a we'll come we'll we'll I'll come back. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll go and revisit the Canada situation and we'll go back and maybe talk some more about uh, trucks and driving between Scotland and Canada and things. How, how's that sound? That'll work. Fantastic. Uh, cool. cool. I shall go and... Uh, cool. Well, cool. Thank you very much for your time, Ronnie, and I shall speak to you again soon. No worries, Doogie. You can appear in the magazine under the rantings of Chairman Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Benevolent dictator. Cool. Right. Catch you later. Cheers, man. Thank you. See you later. I don't know. Thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck and Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.